Well, we are continuing our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so far, we've, we've covered five chapters uh, of 1 Corinthians. So we're diving into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can turn your Bibles there or point your devices there if you want. But I wanted to do a quick recap for you. Um, maybe you haven't been here every week. Um, if that's the case, we do have the sermons posted um, on our YouTube channel um, and also our SoundCloud account uh, if you're interested in, in catching up. But... Right off the bat, Paul talks about these rival factions that are going on in the church at Corinth. And, and so, you know, chapter 1 kind of dove in right there. Uh, we heard about God's wisdom versus the world's wisdom and how the Holy Spirit kind of unlocks that reality for us and unlocks uh, the wisdom of God. Uh, we had Paul set him up, uh, himself up as an example, and he said, follow my example. Be like me in my pursuit of Christ and in my walk uh, with Christ. Um, and, and he finished with how, how the gathered body of Christ, that's us too. It's not just the church in Corinth, but the gathered body of Christ, uh, it, the called out ones of, of the church uh, become uh, the temple of God, that we are together the temple of God. Last week we saw a church bragging about the wrong things in chapter 5, uh, and you can you can read back on that if you, if you missed it last week, but he kind of had to set them straight. He had some corrective words uh, for the church in Corinth in chapter 5. Um, and we talked a little bit last week how he, he doesn't really address the behavior as much as he talks about the church's response. For Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he's trying to help the church understand how to uh, how to deal with uh, this behavior, how to respond, how to be the church uh, together. Um, and so this week he continues. He's not really done with that. Um, and so uh, he... he <laughs> The first four chapters kind of pointed all to the same to the same point, and so uh, these next two chapters kind of uh, work together in in paul 's mind too so we 're going to open our, our scripture up to first Corinthians chapter six um, and i 'm going to have fun with the wind a little bit myself as we <laughs> as we read our verses here um, we 're going to start uh, right at the beginning of the of the chapter and we 're going to read verses. Verses 1 through 8, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 11 for the second half of verse 11. Would you stand out of respect for the reading of God's word as we start at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and then skipping down to verse 11. Hear now the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians. When someone in your assembly has a legal case against another member, do they dare to take it to the court to be judged by people who aren't just instead of by God's people? Or don't you know that God's people will judge the world? If the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to judge trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? Why not ordinary things? So then if you have ordinary lawsuits, do you appoint people as judges who aren't respected by the church? I'm saying this because you should be ashamed of yourselves. Isn't there one person among you who is wise enough to pass judgment among believers? Or between believers. But instead, does a brother or sister have a lawsuit against another brother or sister? And do they do this in front of unbelievers? The fact that you have lawsuits against each other means that you have already lost your case. Why not be wronged instead? Why not be cheated? But instead, you are doing wrong and cheating, and you're doing it to your own 
brothers and sisters. And skipping down to the last part of, of verse 11. But you were washed clean. You were made holy to God and you were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. <laughs> so this isn't the easiest uh, text for us to hear either uh, as as we journey through Paul's letter here to the Corinthians. Um, another hard one. I kind of want to ask Paul to just cut a little slack for some weeks, you know, like take it easy on us. But Paul's so passionate. Paul's so excited about seeing the work of God transform our lives together as the church. And 1 Corinthians, like we said, is just so packed with with instructions for the church. Uh, I had one reader that I was reading this week who said this. This is, this is obviously still a very difficult word for believers, especially in English-speaking North America. There are simply too many of us with vested interests in the present age for us to have any desire to hear it applied to the contemporary church. <laughs> like, wow, okay, well, that's, that's a little honest for us there. Um, and yet, what do we do? What do we do with the Word of God, um, with with these difficult texts? And if you're going to be a serious studier of God's Word, if you're really going to dig in, you have to understand that there are these texts that are difficult to apply to the world today. Um, sometimes we we don't touch them very frequently. Sometimes we can we can avoid them. But when we're moving through a book of the Bible, sequentially taking each chapter. Um, we really have to we have to take a look at it. We have to say, how does this speak to us, and how do, how does this shape us? How does this get applied um, in our world? And that's a good and a healthy thing. It's not easy, um, <laughs> but it's a it's a good thing. Um, I really try to always uh, allow the text to steer what I'm going to talk about as I as I stand before you. And and there's an important reason for that. Um, I I don't think the church gathers to hear what Trent has to say. Um, I don't think that, that what I have to say is that important other than what God has given me to say. And, and the most reliable source that I have for that is to turn to the word, to let the word steer and guide and direct and, and lead me as I prepare. Um, that, that, that's, that's called good preaching. The, the bad preaching is I figure out what I want to say and then I go find a Bible verse that kind of says the same thing. And then I tell you that thing and, and read that one Bible verse. That's not good. That's not good preaching. Okay, good preaching goes to the text and say, God, what do you have for us in this text? And so that's what we're going uh, to try to do today. Am I perfect in that? No, I'm not perfect in that. Um, and, and I'm still growing and still getting used to um, the preparation of sermons every week. That's a that's a new rhythm for me still. Um, and yet uh, I'm so blessed to be able to, to, to do that and, and, and to walk this journey with you. So again, here, Paul finds some behavior. He brings up some behavior that he finds really disturbing. I wrote the word reprehensible, that, that Paul is just like, why in the world is this happening? And again, it, it's, it's kind, of, kind of hard to understand, um, kind of hard to apply here in a, in a modern 21st century um, context. Um, 
we know a few things about the church in Corinth, and we're going to learn more about this as we as we journey through the book. Um, and it's also kind of a fun reason why going through a book sequentially is, is fun. But the first thing that we know is that the church in Corinth was already comprised of a variety of of socioeconomic divisions. Okay, there were, there were those that were pretty well off, and there were those that that weren't so well off. Kind of the haves um, and the have-nots. We're going to hear lots more about this later. Um, but clearly, this was probably an issue between two of the two of the church members that we'd call the haves, right? The people who had had things to protect and, and assets to to defend, and, and they had they had taken their issue uh, to the court. The second thing we know is that that um, that like like America today, um, these people were were accustomed to defending what's what was theirs, uh, and, and certainly that's true in, in our lives true as well. We have our rights. We have our rights. We're, we're entitled to this. We're entitled to that, um, and that that. That feels right to us, and that feels normal to us. The third thing, um, especially for us today, is that we have become kind of used to the idea of of lawsuits. We have become a bit of a litigious. Is that how you say that word? Litigious, litigious. I don't know. Um, society. Um, and, and I think about. I think about. Um, some of the protections that 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 we have to take during this COVID time. Um, what's one of the things the church did? I'll tell you one of the things the church did. We called our insurance company and said, help us out here. And why do we do that? We did that because we want to protect our people and we want to care uh, about our people and make sure that we've taken the appropriate steps to say we're we're taking care of 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 the the responsibilities that we have to protect our people, um, and so that's why we have some of the the protections in place. That's why when we go inside, we're probably going to say, you know what, Max, masks are really really recommended. We're going to recommend that. We're going to recommend that while we stay closely connected socially, we might remain a little more physically distant than we otherwise would. Why to protect people? Um, because those are the things that insurance companies help us figure out what what we have to do. Um, but we have become used to settling things um, in court, and these factors, I think, make it make it really difficult, uh, hard to understand, hard to apply, even sometimes, what Paul uh, is po- talking about. One of the commentators that I read on this passage especially said this. Uh, his name's Witherington. He helped me to understand the process for a lawsuit in, in, in Greco-Roman culture. Okay, um, And so the first step is this. The, the plaintiff, the one who has the argument, goes to the magistrate, the city magistrate, and, the, and presents the case. If it's worthy, he calls in the defendant, and, and a set of facts are determined. So, so what do you both agree on in this case? Is this true? Is this true? Is this true? So the agreed set of facts is what's called, summarized in what's called a formula. A second step is they find a judge that's assigned to the case who's given the formula, the agreed facts in the case, uh, to hear uh, to hear the case, and, and the judge is assigned. Um, and then the third step, the judge would hear the case um, for the debated opinions um, according to the, the lawyers that were, were present and would make a ruling. Okay. Now, 
<laughs> Witherington lists a bunch of other factors that really greatly influences case, cases in the Greco-Roman world. Okay, status was a huge thing. Um, if if there was a, a, a lawsuit between a person with status and a person without status, then the case wasn't debated very long. It wasn't hard to figure out. It was a. It wasn't necessarily always pointed to the law uh, and and um, that status fathers patrons magistrates were preferred over women and children freedmen and private citizens okay second factor was the skill of the lawyer the lawyers of the day were the orators um, and they they would gather a crowd for these things so so the whole town would come and show up uh, and listen to these lawyers who would use pervasive or persuasive speech and and these were the, the the skilled orators, the ones that would would make these large speeches uh, and impress the crowds. So equity in the law wasn't really based um, wasn't wasn't a hallmark of these courts. Instead, they really were about gaining advantage uh, over the other person through the courts. Um, <laughs> Luckily today, uh, courts always, you know, are are fair, right? That's a little sarcasm there. Um, but uh, especially back in the day, there were all these other factors that influenced the courts. And, and the really disturbing thing for Paul um, is that fact that the, the whole town would gather. And, and here we have a plaintiff, a defendant, gathered in front of, of a civic judge with the town watching um, and these two church members trying to settle their difference. Paul interjects with some sharp words. <laughs> why? Why Why would you do this? Does Paul think there would be no conflict in believers? Certainly Paul doesn't think that. Certainly Paul is aware that there are conflicts um, in believers. He's confronting them right now. He's saying, don't, don't do this. What were you thinking? To the church in Galatia, he told them a time when he had to confront Peter. Uh, there's, a, there's a heading in, in Galatians that says, Paul confronts Peter. He was aware of this, that we have differences in opinion. We're not all the same. Praise the Lord. We're not all the same, right? We have different opinions. Uh, we aren't made from Christian cookie cutters. We aren't photocopies of one another. Uh, and that's beautiful. That's a beautiful part of the body of Christ. And I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. We don't think the same. We don't look the same. We probably won't even vote the same. And that's a good thing. And that's a good thing because we're the body of Christ called to be together, called to live together, called to learn from one another. And Paul comes down to the bottom of this passage that I read, and he says, you know what, this is, this is a lose-lose scenario. I don't know the outcome of the civic case. I don't know the outcome of the lawsuit. But no matter the outcome, the church is lost. No matter the outcome, the church is lost. Think about it. In the city of Corinth, church member A and church member B, having this disagreement, having to go to lawyers, having this case out in the public eye before the judge with the town surrounded, to hear the lawyers try this case and to make their speeches, It's kind of a train wreck for the whole world to see. The world comes out and says, "Give me a bucket of fried chicken and a lawn chair. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch me some of this, right?" Um, 
people who testify to following Christ, having it out in the public square. And I think the people of Corinth come to this conclusion. Oh, okay. They're not a whole lot different than us. Okay. So so they so they go and worship together but but at a deeper level when it comes to things like assets, when it comes to things that are really important. They're not that much different. And Paul says this isn't the way it should be. First seven uh, a the first part of first seven a is to the church. He says this: the fact that you have lawsuits against each other means that you've already lost the case. Where is the witness? Where is the witness in that moment? The second half of verse seven is meant to is spoken to the one who of the plaintiff of the case, the one who's wanting to sue. Why not be wronged instead? Why not be cheated? That's hard for us to hear. That's hard for us. That's hard for me as, to hear. As an American, I have my rights. I have my stuff. It deserves to be protected. That's hard for us to hear. Verse 8 is to the defendant. But instead you are doing wrong and you're cheating and you're doing it to your own brothers and sisters. The summary here for Paul, the point for Paul is What? As followers of Christ, we live different. As followers of Christ, we're called to a holy life. Last week, we talked about the sarcasm of Paul. It showed up in, in chapter 5 a little bit. Look at verse 5 in, in chapter 6. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Isn't there one person among you who is wise enough to pass judgment between believers? It's a little more, a little more of Paul's sarcasm leaking out there. Uh, we had just talked about the wisdom of uh, of the world versus the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God is unlocked by the Spirit of God. That's chapter three, and he's pulling it back into to chapter six and saying, "Isn't there someone among you wise enough? Isn't there someone?" Um, hard to hard to <laughs> apply this. Um, I am hereby appointing a judging committee for our church. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you have any problems, you can come to the committee, and they're going to figure out all your problems. No, that's not that's not why we have it. But what do we what do we have? But what do we have? This is that's why we emphasize community. That's why it's important for us to be together. That's why we have men's buckaroo breakfast. Not to try those cases, but so that we're close to each other, that we know each other, that we understand and we can start a conversation. That's why we have ladies on the lawn. That's why we have youth group, young adult group, kids ministries, life groups to draw us close together. To draw us close together in community and to become the church, to form an element of community that can guide and shape us, that holds us and helps us find an anchor point. I think as we commit ourselves to that, I think as 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 we say, I'm not going to to drift and be unconnected. Um, we we went to Roaring Springs not too long ago, and one of my things there is the Lazy River or the Endless River. Um, and what we like to do, what I like to do is, and I have a lot of kids, so this is really annoying to some of the other. <laughs> 
participants, but like link up, right, and be this big blob in the middle of the river. And there's parts where it gets really shallow. You kind of get wedged in there. You're like, I think we're stuck. We might have to let go of a few people uh, or, or disconnect because the blob doesn't fit through. But isn't that a, a picture of the journey of life, that we can stay connected? That's what the church ought to be, is people who are connected in this journey of life, who want to, to weather it together, who want to walk it together. As I apply this, as I look for, for an equivalent um, example for our society today, um, I was drawn to this idea um, certainly, um, we can't dismiss this idea of lawsuits and that Paul is talking to us. Um, and yet, what I think is a little more common today is social media. <laughs> I think it's social social media. Um, the major offenses of which are, are twofold. Number one, um, the inability to reconcile. And number two, having it out in front of the public eye that too often I have seen um, two people who say they follow Christ not acting like Christ in their words or in their posts or in their comments and in how they're going back and forth. And, and the picture of it happening for everyone to see and there being a record in it, and I just want to say this is not how the church should be. This is not how we should have this conversation out in front of everybody, out in the open, what would it mean to come together, to look one another in the eye and say, talk to me, help me understand? Uh, in the verses we skipped over this morning, I jumped from chat, uh, verse 8 down to the second half of verse 11. In those verses, Paul names a whole lot of folks uh, that he says are, are probably going to miss out on the gift, miss out on the inheritance of Christ. Um, there are two more... <laughs> two or three more sermons in all of that. And, and so I, I, I just jumped over some of that. Um, but the point is this, that Paul wants us to live holy lives. Paul wants us to live holy lives. Um, the last chapter in the second half of, of this chapter, it talks about how we, how we treat our bodies. Uh, and we talked a little bit yesterday about, or last week, about the, the culture of, of this Greco-Roman society and how, how it, the following of Christ and the, the recommendations was, was a whole new way of treating one's person, treating one's body. Um, but here he focuses just on how we treat each other. It's part of our call to live holy lives together. Um, <laughs> do any of you have a, a backyard pool? Um, we have a backyard pool in our house um, in Washington. Um, <laughs> that's where we came from. I think we, we developed some thin skin. We're not used to triple-digit uh, uh, heat. Uh, and so we have, we have this pool, and it's a great place to, to cool off in, in hot weather. Um, but I'm fighting this pool because it likes to be green, and I don't like green pools. Um, and so maybe I need to get some tips from some of you who, who are familiar with, uh, with the, the weather here. Uh, you, can, you can give me your tips a little bit later. Um, I, we, <laughs> we 
we hosted my brother here a couple weeks ago, and we were like, hey, yeah, have the kids bring the suits, and we'll jump in the pool. And like two days before, it just goes, Pff. it's like the color of the green grass, not the not the brown grass, and it's just bright green. Um, Paul, in his closing statement, says this. He says, you were washed clean. You're like a crystal cool pool, crystal clear, cool pool on a hot on a hot day. You were called. You were washed clean. You no longer live the way that you used to live, um, and that's the point for Paul of following Jesus. That's the point. That's what Jesus wants to do, and that's what Paul is calling the church in Corinth. To be, You were washed clean. You were made holy to God, and you were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Spirit of our God. Can we commit together to live that way? Can we commit together to, to live clean lives, to walk closely with one another, to become the body of Christ together? I believe that's what God calls us to. I believe that's what Paul was reminding the Corinthian church to do in their lives together.